Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Disciple City Church. Welcome especially to those of you who this is your first time streaming with us. If this is your first time, my name is Ryan Sears. I get the privilege of being on staff here at DCC um, and preaching. I want to tell you about something from my childhood. In the movie Little Giants, there are two brothers who coach two different Little League football teams. Uh, If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. The unlikely brother, uh, played by Rick Moranis, if you remember the early 90s, coaches the more unlikely of the teams. And the most unlikely person is on his team. Goes by the name Jake Berman. All right, Jake Berman. He's short. He's scrawny. He wears glasses. He has a funny haircut. He's standing on the stage before you now. Not really, but if you need a mental picture, think me like 15, 20 years ago. Uh, But one day, Jake shows up to practice wrapped in this super thick mattress topper-like padding and tells his coach, my mom says the pads you gave me weren't enough. You can actually see a picture of that um, now. But I bring up that classic line from that classic movie in my childhood for a reason. Because we're all a little bit like Jake Berman. No, uh, I don't mean funny haircuts, even though I'm sure all of us have experienced that. No, I'm saying that there's something about Jake that's endemic in all of us. It's something that you can't escape. It's part of the human condition. It's that we all seek out extra padding. You know, God's hardwired us to desire safety. It's part of being human. It's a human need. It's a human right. And God provides such for all of his creation. But there's an issue. And it's that we don't often settle into the security he provides very well. And instead of entrusting ourselves to God when we're afraid, we tend to insulate ourselves with other means of protection, extra padding like Jake, if you will. And we say that we're on God's health insurance plan, if you want kind of a picture Uh, But really what happens is that we act like he gives us a stipend to outsource our safety or to find security elsewhere. And we become easily attached to God's means of protection or to our other sources of it rather than clinging to God himself. And so maybe today as we go through this text Um, you'll recognize that you have some sort of an attachment, that you're clinging to something besides the Lord. It could be a person, a friendship, a relationship, a job, or a source of income. Maybe it's the economy floating during this time, or a political party or candidate. Maybe it's a set of principles and practices for public health, or the disregard of those for yourself. Maybe it's a self-medicating habit. Whatever it is, we all have it. Remember, this 
is true of all of us, but whatever it is, I have a question for you to ask yourself to consider this morning as you consider those things. Can what you cling to for security keep its promise to protect you? Can what you cling to for security keep its promise to protect you? Remember, this is true of all of us. You cannot escape it. You, like it or not, are clingy, all right? You have attachments to things, whether that's occasional or all the time. You cling to these things for safety, for security, for protection, for relief from your fears. And you cling to them instead of clinging to God. And do those people or do those things have your best interest in mind? Are they really able to carry you, both body and soul, all of you, through both life and death? And are you holding to these things more tightly than the God that can keep his promise to protect you? Today, we're starting a new series. It's on the Psalms of Ascents. Uh, Think of it like a playlist in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, that's 15 songs long. And the people of Judah wrote or compiled these while they were in exile in Babylon and then Persia. And they put these together for their trip home when they would leave exile and go back to their place. And then after they used them for exile, after they sang them on their trip home, They used them every year as they would leave wherever they were uh, located, wherever they'd settled, wherever they'd lived. They would leave three times a year to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to their capital city to celebrate these festivals that God required of them. And it's even believed that when they constructed the new temple that it had 15 steps, one for each of these songs. And they were used not only for their journeys, but for preparing their hearts for worship, for gathering, for um, giving to God. And as we reflect on Judah's journey, I also want you to reflect on your own journey. I want you to ask the question, where am I going? Maybe that's something that you're curious about in this season. Maybe it's something that you were curious about before, but where are you headed? What are you chasing? And What are you trusting in to help you get there? What are you trusting in to protect you on the way? And with that, we're going to be in Psalm 121 this morning, Psalm 121. As you turn there, I want to give you my my movements. Just three simple words that you can track with as I kind of give my message. It's these. We're going to look at the circumstances. We're going to look at the creator And we're going to look at the charge of the text for us today, all right? So circumstances, creator, charge. First point is this. Challenging circumstances create chances to cling, all right? Challenging circumstances create chances to cling. I want to start with verse 1. I'm going to read it for you. It says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come, all right? So you see here that they're on this journey, right? Leaving exile, leaving home, and headed back to Jerusalem. And as they go, they see hills or mountains, right? And though these are kind of representative of a lot of things in the 
topography of Israel, right, there was pretty treacherous terrain. This was either a threat or a help, right? It's a threat in that there's injury that could happen as they, you know, go up and down these hills and valleys and mountains and things of that nature, but they're also a hiding place for animals to pop out and attack or for this band of robbers to jump out and attack, injure, and take things from travelers that could leave them stranded and hurt without any medical help, without any safety, with little supplies. So there were a lot of threats on the way. Uh, But these mountains also represented help. Uh, At that time, there were other religions besides Judaism, besides the, the worship of Yahweh, that had priests, that had altars, that had sacrifices. And so for someone who wanted to go on a journey, they could ascend one of these hills or mountains, they could meet a priest there, and they could offer sacrifice to another god. And it would bring, you know, immediate relief, if you will, uh, that they would uh, offer a, a sacrifice maybe to have safety for their journey, or maybe they wanted fertility, or maybe they were going to go into battle and they needed help with victory. And so they would seek the help of these other gods. But the problem was these priests were offering false promises. It was well recorded in all of the neighboring gods of Israel that they were asleep and needed to be awakened, roused. Uh, they weren't able to really balance the universe and protect people. Time and again, what the gods and the priests promised, they weren't able to keep. And this was the context that Judah was in, right? It was filled with threat. It was filled with temptation to go to these other gods for temporary belief, but no guarantee that they were actually going to keep their word. And so this is why the psalmist wonders about his own source of comfort and consolation. And these challenging circumstances created a chance for them to cling to something for security. And in verse 2, the psalmist says where he placed his hope for protection. He wrote, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And the Lord there in Hebrew is Yahweh. It's God's covenant name. It's how he communicated himself to his people. And his name was so respected and revered that Hebrews wouldn't say it. They wouldn't even mention it. Um, Even to the point that in biblical Hebrew, when you read the vowels on the letters for Yahweh are supposed to be read Adonai, which is another name for God. And they would do that, again, because they so revered God's name that they didn't want to misuse it. They were trying to be careful. They were being cautious. But what God also revealed to them was that he was unlike the gods of their neighbors. He was outside of creation. The other gods were part of creation, and though they created, they themselves were created. But the God of the Bible reveals himself as uncreated, right? He has no maker, and he is the maker of all of heaven and all of earth. And so with that, he's the one who made these hills, these mountains that offer either a threat or help. And so these other helps have set up shop in God's territory. And these other threats are perched in places that God had provided. And so in trusting God, you're trusting the one who gave place even for these other helps and threats. He sees all. He was present in all of these places during their journey, and he's over 
all of his creation. And so moving from the text maybe to you, much like Judah, we're all on a journey. You know, personally, some of you are headed toward likeness to Jesus as you follow him on the way of discipleship. Nationally, we are all navigating very turbulent times as we seek justice and there's this polarization politically. And globally, man, we are all in the midst of a pandemic. And so these challenging circumstances that we are in also create chances for us to cling to something just like Judah and the psalmist. And so I reiterate my question for you. Can what you cling to for security really keep its promise to protect you? Can the potential helps that you seek out, that you place your trust in, man, can they really take care of you both in life and in death? Or do they merely numb your fears and your pains? Your philosophy, uh, you know, as an example, on work ethic might not really hold water in this season. You might have historically viewed yourself as this really hard worker, as an achiever. And in this season, that might leave you wanting. You may not be able to work in the same way as you keep your kids or as you're, you're, you're out of work for right now. And so you might even be viewing yourself, something that's historically helped you get through life, help you establish self-esteem and self-worth. Man, you might be lacking in that right now. And so something that's been extra padding, protecting you on the way of life you're kind of vulnerable right now. And in this season, but in all of life, there are copious dangers that mount up against us. At every corner, always, there are things that we could be attacked by. But come what may, no matter the threat, the creator keeps his covenant promises, including protecting those who are his. And I've been using that word, keeps, on purpose, Because the psalmist says that the creator keeps his people, which is my second point. The creator keeps those who cling to him. The creator keeps those who cling to him. Um, As I read the rest of the psalm for you, I I want you to see if you notice a pattern, all right? Picking up in verse three, it says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I'm sure you noticed it. The psalmist used one word six different times. Keep. This Hebrew word, shamar, uh, oftentimes it looks like shomer, shomre. Uh, it means to guard, to watch over, to keep. And a person can watch over another person, oneself, their animals, places, objects. But there are other connotations too, like taking care of something or preserving or protecting something or someone, um, even carefully carrying out an action. Uh, but it was also used in reference to keeping a commitment. I think it's in Hosea 12 where um, Yahweh says something to Israel about keeping their commitment, keeping their word about seeking justice. In Genesis 2.15, God tells humans to keep creation, to 
to maintain, to take care of, and to take responsibility for the garden that God had provided. So shout out to our creation care ministry. I see you, Claire. And the idea of this word is taking responsibility for something. It's part of how we at Disciple City Church got our value of being responsible siblings, of taking responsibility for one another. And I'll give you more on that in just a second. But the word's range of meaning, as we've kind of looked at this, helps us to understand who God is here, that he is the one who watches over us, that he is our keeper, that we can trust him to take care of us, to protect us. We can trust that we have the maker of heaven and earth protecting us both now and forever. There are no other solutions to our worries, our concerns, or our fears. But we also need to know and consider what keeping and what this psalm don't mean. This isn't teaching that we are impenetrable, that we're untouchable or immune to struggle or trial or hardship in life. That would be a gross misunderstanding, not just of this text, but others. Now, we're not supposed to be a people who flaunt or flex our faith in false or foolish ways. Some of us, though, I'm concerned, may have developed selective application syndrome. Here are the symptoms. Let me know if you have it. You use the promises of God's word, more specifically here, his promise of protection, to do things that you deem important. But you don't believe that this promise cover, covers other activities or other behaviors that you don't think or don't consider important, things that you don't agree with. That's a pretty timely word, right, in this season. Uh, it's hard, like I said, in the words of our pastor, if you can't say amen, just say ouch. Maybe you have selective application syndrome. And as we all figure out how to deal with COVID, I want to poke at all of us here, okay? We need to recognize that we aren't the experts. And we need to make every decision with the necessary caution. We need to find the balance between wisdom and foolishness, between essential and elective, between sacrificing my health for the common good and surrendering my privileges for the common good. Listen, if you refuse to bend your preferences or if you make your preferences the standard for everyone to live by, you're not really in line with the psalm. You're more than likely using God's word without God's wisdom. Uh, an example of that is in Matthew 4. You may be familiar with this, but Jesus is in the wilderness and he's approached by the Satan, the devil, the tempter. And in one of his three temptations, he uses Psalm 91, which is another song of protection, to tempt Jesus to throw himself off of the temple. And some of us take something like Psalm 91 or Psalm 121, and we don't respond like Jesus. Instead, we say, yeah, we have God's protection, and we jump into dangerous situations. And listen, God might protect you, but he's doing so despite you. Mm. And if you end up hurt on the other side, it's not because God isn't your protector. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.16. He said, we shouldn't test our God. Again, this psalm doesn't teach that we are unsusceptible or invulnerable to not just the virus, but any injury. We're not uh, 
always going to dodge a financial setback. We're not going to miss police brutality or systems of obstruction. These things exist. It doesn't mean that they can't get through this bubble of God's protection around us to touch us. Sometimes they will. But what this psalm teaches is that God is our sole protector, that he takes responsibility for keeping us safe. We don't outsource our security. When threats mount against us, we call on our keeper, knowing that he is able to sustain, to guard, and to take us to himself if evils do overtake us. In short, this passage is like the Old Testament version of Romans 8, 31 through 39, exclaiming that no evil, no danger, no failure, no fear, no systems, no virus, no nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Man, that's like the best type of news for us, man. Nothing else can offer us that type, that quality, that depth of protection. Nothing but our God. And one other thing on this, God keeps his creation, but he especially keeps those with whom he's in covenant. You may have noticed looking back at the text that the covenant name that we talked about, Yahweh, is used five different times. Or you may have seen that in verse eight, he uses covenant language. Uh, Let me read it. It says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. That's a reference to Deuteronomy 28, 6, which is one of the most crucial chapters in the Bible for understanding the Old Testament. But in Genesis, God told Abraham that he would make a nation of him, that he would provide a land for them to call home, and that he would then bless them so that they could be a blessing to the world, right? And when this nation is now on the edge of the promised land of Deuteronomy, God confirms the covenant with this new generation of Israel. He reminded them of the blessings that they would receive in covenant. God told them that his keeping of Israel was supposed to catch their neighbor's attention and direct it to Yahweh. He also reminded them that he would keep Israel when they kept his commandments. Now, some people get uncomfortable with this type of language, thinking that God required them to earn his love. But listen, that's not what's going on, right? God had already saved and delivered and rescued them from Egypt. He'd already made them his people. They didn't need to do anything to earn his love or his favor. But they did have to keep up their end of the covenant. And it's only weird when you individualize it, which many of us are prone to do. But remember, God's commandments were all about them keeping one another They were supposed to protect, to preserve, to care about, and take responsibility for one another, both societally and individually. Israel was supposed to be comprised of brothers keepers, of responsible siblings. Like the word that we've been looking at here in Psalm 121, it's also present in Genesis 4 in Cain's response to God. God comes to Cain and asks him where his brother Abel is. And Cain responds, am I my brother's keeper? It's famous. I think a lot of people know about this line, right? And at face value, it seems just like a a little excuse, right? Like he's trying to dodge what God is getting at. But really, 
Cain is indicting God. He's pointing his finger in his face and saying, look, keeping is your job. So if something happened to Abel, man, you're to blame, not me. And ultimately, he's punting. He's abdicating his responsibility of being loyal to the family, which isn't just a major theme in the book of Genesis, but it's foundational for Israel and for our God. Cain refusing to protect, care for, and watch over his brother Abel, his rejection of being a brother's keeper resulted from a deeper lack of faith in God. If Cain had clung to the creator rather than his circumstances, he would have enjoyed the benefits of brotherhood and the blessing of God. But instead, Cain experienced a sort of exile, if you will, sent away from his home and his God. And similarly, looking at this passage, when did Judah write this song? In exile, right? And how'd they get there? Well, they lived like Cain. They'd taken advantage of their siblings rather than taking care of the disadvantaged. They'd broken faith with Yahweh, and it showed in how they treated one another. And now they were coming back from exile. It was hopeful. They had an opportunity to try again, to cling to God as their protector instead of chasing after their idols and holding on to their own oppressive means and activities, the ways that they had secured their own bank accounts, their positions of power, the way that they had held on to their vocations or their treaties with these neighboring nations. They'd now be able to cling to God and to become like him, keeping one another. They could celebrate God's security and provide protection for their people. And so with all of that in mind, here is the charge for today. The creator keeps those who cling to him. So, cling to the creator. Cling to the creator. If I was gonna make it a little bit uh, longer, larger, I would say cling to the creator who keeps his promise to keep you. I love something about this passage that I haven't mentioned thus far, and it's that the psalmist does not condemn the travelers for their fear. Man, fear is a natural response. It's reflexive in us, and there's so many things to be afraid of. That was true for Judah on their travels. It's true for us now. Remember, it's endemic. It's part of the human condition. Their fear isn't condemned, but trusting in other sources for security is. And so I ask you, When you're afraid, what do you do? What do you cling to? What are you clinging to now? And do me a favor. Listen, don't think about auntie. Don't think about cousin. Don't think about your spouse. I want you to think about you. How is this happening in you, in your life right now, in your circumstances? There's not one person who is free from this. Even if you're in a, a good season, if you will. But here's an example for us. As my wife Brittany and I prepare to bring young Theodore Judah into the world this month, uh, I'm sweating just thinking about it. Um, I've been trying to think of ways to make money like magically appear, like pull it out of a hat or something. Um, Brittany and I sacrifice to do the things that we feel like God has called us to. We have typically lived below our means, um, and that's taking on a whole new meaning with having one 
income, one full-time income. And so I have been trying to use my own abilities. I've been trusting in my own faculties for figuring out our finances instead of bringing my fear to God and confessing that I've struggled to have faith in him to protect us in this season. To the point that this week, I've even considered doing things that are like questionable, you know, like putting my character on the line, just thinking about ways to get uh, money to come from doing this, that, and the third, uh, tax-wise or different things. I've just wondered, like, could I do that? And at the end of the day, I always land on no. Like, I'm not trying to live outside the bounds of God's wisdom, but it's crossed my mind because it's that easy to interact with your fear and to end that moment instead of clinging to God to see these challenging circumstances coming and to cling to something else besides him. And so maybe you've experienced something similar. Maybe you're asking yourself the question, how do I know if I'm clinging to the creator to keep me? And firstly, I just want to say this, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're in Christ, then you're in covenant. Remember, God's keeping is a covenant promise. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Every promise from God is a given to those who follow Jesus. It doesn't matter how fearful you've been. It doesn't matter how you've tried to manipulate your context. What you do is you are honest with yourself. You confess those things to the Lord. You turn from them in repentance and you keep it pushing with the God who keeps his promise to protect you. Thankfully, Charles Spurgeon said similarly when he said, it's not your grasp of Christ that saves you. It's his grasp of you. And in times when you try to cling to other things, he does not let go of you. Somebody needs to know that today. And listen, if you're in Jesus, there is no getting out of this promise. But man, being associated with Jesus sometimes brings a little bit of discipline. So don't, don't try to get around that. Just take it, all right? Another way to consider this is, are you supplementing the security that God provides? I want you to take a few minutes at some point today, contemplation and beyond, to reflect on ways that you forego God's promises of safety and security to add extra padding like Jake Berman. And something might need to give in your life. And giving up those things isn't easy, so get help. Talk to the Lord about it, but then step to somebody in your community and ask them to help you. Ask them to help you process through what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, how you got to where you are, and what next steps might look like to give that up. And lastly, ask yourself if you're sacrificing for the sake of your siblings. Uh, are you willing to do what it takes to take care of those around you? I love soccer. It, it gives me a helpful image. Thinking about God like a goalkeeper, right? Like a goalie. Get it, goalkeeper. You see that? But he is the last line of defense, but he's not the only line of defense. He's not the only one responsible for keeping the ball out of the net. That's the whole team's job. And in the same way, we have a responsibility for keeping those around us, for keeping our siblings, our brothers and sisters, our neighbors for keeping our community. And in this time, are you looking for ways to join God in that? Or are you just preserving yourself 
If you're isolating, then you're probably insulating yourself with padding rather than entrusting yourself to God and giving. So maybe ask yourself the question, what am I unwilling to give up for God and my neighbor in this season? As I land the plane, I want to go back to Little Giants real quick. In the movie, Jake Berman actually becomes the Bermanator. It's on the back of his jersey. And he learned to trust his coach, to trust his pads, to trust his teammates. He overcomes his fear, and he becomes a real part of the team. He chances all of the potential threats for the potential reward at the end. And I'd forgotten this, but he's actually the one who scores the winning touchdown at the end of the movie, at the end of the big game. Uh, And all of us, like I said, are a little bit like Jake Berman. He had potential threats to keep him from experiencing the joy of teamness and the joy of being rewarded. And for all of us in this season, even in this season, as we journey toward likeness to Jesus, as we face all of these challenging circumstances, God is calling you home to himself. He's calling you to more and better. He wants more for you than the things that you're clinging to. They can't keep their promises. They can't offer you the consolation and the comfort that you're really seeking after. So what do you do? Cling to the creator, man, who keeps his promise to keep you, to protect you. And if you do, I guarantee you, on the other side, of all of what we're experiencing, we will all come back stronger. Let's do that together. I love you guys. And at Disciple City Church, we have a, a rhythm, a ritual. Every week, we end our time of the word with a time of contemplation. And so now what I want to ask you to do is to consider these four questions. What is God calling you to stop What is God calling you to start? What is God calling you to believe? And who is God calling you to share this with? Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom.